Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Club Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. I'm once again joined by my co-host, Dylan Hughes. Dylan, in the tradition of throwing you a curveball, when you expect a fastball, what is your New Year's resolution for 2022? Um, I'm happy to say that I don't do them anymore because, listen, I'm looking to improve my life every day, okay? I, you know, the the 1% better thing has become a popular phrase and that's because everyone loves to just quantify everything in life now. So they've got to put a percentage to their growth. Listen, I just, I wake up every day. I try to be a good person. Um, I try to be as healthy as possible and I try to work as hard as I can. So my resolution is just to continue all that. Says the person who has a subscription to cleaning the glass about quantifying your life's progress. Um, I mean, there's exceptions. Okay. Like numbers. <laughs> and listen, I write about the stock market. Okay. So there's a lot of numbers involved there too. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm that I don't contradict myself. That's not something that I, I said, but I think really that there's too many numbers in my normal life where like, I don't even, I don't even time my runs anymore. I I just like, I can't like when I get away from the computer, I love numbers when I'm looking at a computer, but if I'm going on a run or doing anything outside of the house, like I'm not interested in numbers. I don't care how much weight I'm lifting or how, how many miles I'm running. Like I kind of just do what feels right. Um, and it, I don't know. It works for me. I know a lot of people are so into like numbers nowadays and I get it. It's great. It helps people, but I don't know. It's not my thing anymore. I get it. Um, shout out to Moneyball. Shout out to Bill James. Shout out to, uh, uh, Nate Silver. I almost said Adam Silver, which would have been very funny in this context because I'm sure he does not like some of the analytics around his rating numbers. (laughs) Um, are they down? I they have to be. I mean, oh, yeah. Listen, him and I'm, Biden are suffering right now. I'm just I'm just gonna say what we've all been trying to avoid saying the last couple of weeks, Dylan. This basketball kind of sucks right now. <laughs> I haven't watched last night's Pacers Nets game was the first live basketball game I think I'd watched since the middle of last month. Um, yeah, like it's not great right now, but. You know, there's still fun stuff going on. Like watching Trey was great. Watching LeBron is always fun. Watching Lance go off, Lance and make him dance. You know, it's really fun. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, you know, this is great for the NBA. Like what's going on with the health and safety protocols? Everyone missing time. It's not. It's not. But, you know, like I said, find the, you know, half, half glass full kind of guy. And you know what? That's my New Year's resolution, Dylan, is to just keep being the glass half full kind of guy. And to just when Caleb calls me NBA PR and be like, you know what? Maybe I am NBA PR. And maybe, you know, when JD calls me out for my DeMar DeRozan ranking, be like, you know, what? maybe I am wrong. Glass half full kind of guy. <laughs> it's funny how Caleb calls you NBA PR 
when he has no team and he's just, he's one of the like, oh, I just like a good game type of guy. And yet you are NBA PR. <laughs> yes. I, I, I don't know. I, I had to say it because I felt like my reputation was on the line. So that's my, uh, my, my new year's resolution is just to remain optimistic because it's, it's hard sometimes to remain optimistic as you know, in life, Dylan. So, um, no real big injury news this week. Um, except for guys that are coming back. And the first guy that came back, he actually came back against one of our teams for the week. Um, let me remind, cause I went kind of through it there. But our teams for this week, the last go around for the power hour, it's crazy that we've already gone through all 30 teams <laughs> already. It feels like this season has flown by um, the Lakers, the Pacers and the Hawks. And Kyrie came back against your Indiana Pacers, Dylan. And how do you feel Kyrie did in his first game back? Uh, way too good for the Pacers. That's what I'll say. I mean, the Pacers had no answer for him in the fourth quarter, especially. And like breaking news, you know, most teams don't. But it was good to see. Like you can tell he's, you know, stayed in shape and all that. And it's not surprising. Like, you know, him him and uh, his teammate James Harden aren't necessarily the same type of uh, basketball personality. You know, Harden likes to spend his off time uh, doing some – maybe not so productive things. Kyrie Irving is just kind of reading conspiracy theories and like putting shots up, you know? So I'm not surprised that he came out and had a really good game. And Hey, I have been saying it for months, all politics aside, I want the New York city vaccine max mandate gone just to see Kyrie. That's the only reason I want it lifted because I want Kyrie playing every game possible. And last night was great proof of that. I don't think they, so, okay. The arrangement is that he's only going to be able to play road games except in, I believe Toronto and with, they play the Knicks. So he'll be able to play, I don't know. He'll probably play 20 games the rest of the way conservatively. Um, it's going to be an interesting arrangement to watch. I read, I heard on a podcast, he's going to be the first part-time player since the sixties. <laughs> I believe that was on the mismatch with KOC and Verno, um, where they said that he was going to be a part-time play, the first part-time player since the 1960s. And the guy was like, he was a basketball player. I think he played for Purdue on the weekends oh. or on the weekdays. And then on the weekends, he played for the Chicago Zephyrs. <laughs> Oh yes. One of the, one of my favorite basketball team names, the, the fifties and the sixties. And even before that, like if you do some research on some old NBA, ABA teams, there's some amazing names in there. I mean, the Warriors started in Philadelphia. Um, I mean, the Knicks used to be just the, I mean, they're still, this is still technically their name, but they used to be officially the Knickerbockers, which is a great name. Um, I don't know. Like you're right, but <laughs> back to Kyrie, it's, I don't know what I want to say. He is one of the most fun players to watch in the whole league. Hands down. We both, I believe we both had him on our second team, all NBA last year. He was legitimately amazing on, he wasn't amazing on defense. He was good on defense for the nets last year. And he was probably one of the five best offensive players in the league last year, conservatively. 
I it's the NBA is a better place than Kyrie Irving's playing basketball. And I, I don't know. I just I I just want him to play. I hope this whole thing gets resolved one way or the other. Well, it's not going to get resolved the other way. So the only way it's going to get resolved <laughs> is by your solution. But I, props to Kyrie for standing what he standing for what he believes in. I guess and he won. You know, he won. So shout out to him. And NBA is a better place when he's playing basketball. Unfortunately, I believe the Nets are in a very home heavy stretch at the moment. So he's going to be playing in Chicago in the next two weeks, I believe. And then he like their other five games in this like seven game stretch are all at home. (laughs) So he's not going to be playing a whole lot. But another guy that's coming back this weekend, Dylan, is Clay Thompson. (laughs) After three seasons this is three seasons since he was injured. He is finally coming back. He will be playing basketball again. Dylan, just some guys that were um, on some different teams the last time Clay Thompson was on a basketball court. Um, Victor Oladipo, still a pacer. Um, Jimmy Butler was a member of the Philadelphia 76ers. Kawhi Leonard, member of the Toronto Raptors. Um, I'm trying to think of who else notable was on a different team. Um, Kevin Durant was a war- was his teammate. <laughs> Kyrie was a Celtic. Harden was a Rocket. The NBA looks completely different from the last time Clay played basketball, except for the two guys who've always been there with Clay in Draymond and Steph and Dylan. I'm re- I'm just really excited to watch Clay play basketball this weekend. Yeah, I, I hope he hasn't lost too much because he was always one of my favorites because he has probably like. I'm not going to say the highest floor in the league, but he's probably top 10 as far as scoring uh, just because of when he's hot, he is hot and he doesn't have to spend any time creating his own shot. Like that offense is designed to get open shots for him and Steph. And he just has to play his game, move around, you know, get a pin down and put that shot up in like 0.0001 seconds. And it's in and Hey, you know, we saw that against the Pacers a few years back, 60 points in 29 minutes, still one of the most amazing scoring performances ever, I think. And, you know, that's a guy you like having in the league. I mean, he is just amazing. And on the flip side, he's one of the best point of attack defenders, in my opinion, in the league. And I would imagine we see some slippage there just based on the knee situation. Um, but, hey, you know, I know he had a setback and all that, but, I mean, the Cam Akers thing has really given me hope about some of these injuries. Like, Cam Akers coming back from an Achilles tear in five months is legitimately insane. And it's not like he's being forced back. Like, he looks very good in the the video I've seen of him running around. And I guess this weekend will be the first real test. But it's like, modern medicine is unbelievable. And I really hope that Clayton didn't, I mean, he'll, he'll probably lose something, but I hope it's, it's not too much. Oh yeah. Cam Akers got some of that modern medicine. All right. This is one of those. I'm not saying, I'm just saying situations. Yes. I'm not going to say what I, what I mean to say, but Dylan, you know what I'm trying to say. And, um, yeah, I, I don't have anything else to comment on that Cam Akers situation because literally, how else is that possible? Like, how he tore his Achilles in, was that July? <laughs> that yeah. shouldn't be possible. It took Katie a year and a half to come back. It took, you know, Wes Matthews came back in a, like 
less than a year, but that was like remarkable. And he recovered. Maybe that's just one of those situations. You know, maybe we just put it in God's hands and that's all, that's all we need to say. Um, Clay certainly won't be the defender that he was before he got injured. That's a certainty. I mean, just add to the fact that he's, you know, in his thirties now, I mean, my concern, I don't know his age exactly. I'll look it up real quick. If I had to guess he's 31 or 32, he's definitely not going to be the same defender. He was in, he's turning 32 in February. So he's going to be turning 32 this year. So he was going to be a worse defender at this point. Anyway, there's no way he's going to be the same defender. He was after an Achilles and aging. But the thing about shooters, Dylan, is that they age like a fine wine. <laughs> we saw Ray Allen and Reggie Miller both play, which are really the most like even comps for Clay Thompson, right? Like we've never seen Steph before. We've seen variations of Clay on offense, right? They come around a lot. Now, Ray Allen was a much more skilled ball handler than either Reggie. Well, I'll give Reggie a little bit of credit, but Reggie and Clay both play pretty similarly where a lot of their offenses derive from running around screens. So in that sense, I think that Clay is going to be, he's not going to be like at 20 points a game, but if he can give you like 17 points a game, in addition to Wiggins is 18 points a game. <laughs> that's what 60 points a game game from your big three. In addition to like a possible another 17 to 18, you're getting from pool. Like they're going to be unstoppable if Clay can just be like three quarters of what he was on offense before he tore his Achilles. Yeah, that's what's scary is they are tied with Phoenix as the best team in the league. And when it comes to the playoffs, I think they have probably a better chance of coming out of, of it, at least from those two. I mean, Wiggins is really good. Jordan Poole has been amazing. Like, I'm interested to see if if Kaminga or Moody. It'd be better if it was Kaminga. Like having one of those guys pop late in the season. Maybe Wiseman comes through. I don't. I don't expect that at all. But having even just one of those three guys make an impact. Like your team is really set because they've done a really good job with that bench, man. Like getting Otto Porter and Bielitsa was a huge haul for them. I mean, there's some games where those guys, like, I'm not going to say carry them, but like they do a great job of, you know, helping support Steph and Draymond and Jordan Poole and all those guys. So man, it's this second half of the season is going to be really fun, especially out West because I mean, I I don't want to throw in the, the Clippers as a sleeping giant yet, but they're a sleeping giant. And having them get in this race with Phoenix and Golden State, it's going to be a really fun second half of the season. Don't forget about the Nuggets when Jamal comes back. That too. Yep. Yeah. It's going to be real interesting race the rest of the season. Um, I believe next week will be the halfway point for some of the teams in the league. Obviously, you had a couple of postponements. Like the Bulls have only played 35 games, but the, the Warriors have played – 37 games already. The Suns, 37. Like you said, they're both tied for first. They're tied for first in the West right now. Um, Utah has played 38. Memphis has played 39. Dallas, 38. The Lakers, 39. So we're almost at the halfway point of the season. <laughs> so there's no way Clay plays all 41 games. My guess is he plays 30. But the Warriors have slow played this thing. And if he can be ready for like consistent. 35 minute 
outings in the playoffs, they might just be the favorites to win the damn thing. I we're I will say that more. So we should say Rudy Gobert entered the health and safety protocols today. And there's a lot of guys that, you know, are exiting the health and safety protocols now. But we figured since we are, this is our last week, we've gone through all 30 teams and we're restarting and the Jazz were in our first week of the season. We should probably wait till the Jazz have Rudy back to make a full determination of what we think of them. So we're switching the Warriors and the Jazz for next week. So our teams for next week are the Celtics, the Spurs, and the Warriors. So that'll that, that'll be a pretty interesting week because the Spurs are on an upswing right now. They're currently the 10th seed. <laughs> and in the play-in, they got the last spot in the play-in race, which would be funny if they just lived there for the rest of Pop's career. Um, but Dylan, I think it's time to enter the much less fun part of our podcast and talk about maybe your least favorite team in the whole league. I I... Am I going out on a limb to say they are your least favorite team in the league? No, no, you are firmly uh, in the trunk of the tree at that statement. <laughs> They're always going back to trees with you. Um, <laughs> hey, you brought up branches, okay? <laughs> that's that's very true. Um, the Lakers, the Los Angeles Lakers, they're 20 and 19, good for six in the Western Conference. They're currently the 23rd best offense in the league. They're the 19th. Uh, best defense, negative 1.8 net rating, good for 22nd in the league. Um, <laughs> their last week, they've actually had a pretty good last week. So December 29th, they lost to the Grizzlies 104 to 99. Then they're on a three-game winning streak, but nope, the teams they've won against. They beat the Blazers 139 to 106, and yeah, that that one you kind of saw coming. They then beat the Catless and Delo-less Wolves 108 to 103, and then they beat the Kings last night 122 to 114. Um, they're on a three-game winning streak right now, Dylan. But should I be concerned <laughs> about this team? They're like these ratings for a LeBron team are horrific. Like even by like this awful team standard, you would think they'd have like at least a neutral net rating. Um, and they, like I said, they barely beat the Wolves without Cat and without D'Lo. I, I just, <laughs> and we should mention this team has been without AD for a couple of weeks now. But still, it's not, it's not a good sign <laughs> that they're this, they're floundering even with and without AD. Yeah, and I think the recent schedule says a lot. Okay, so let's just talk about going back to December 9th let's say okay so they lose to memphis good team they beat the thunder magic dallas bad teams then they lose five in a row minnesota chicago phoenix san antonio brooklyn all good teams beat memphis bad team or houston they lose to memphis good team beat portland minnesota sacramento and minnesota throws some of that off but Minnesota is a good team and a bad team, so I think it, it's fair. So, like, the teams that they, that they need to beat, they're not beating. And and I say that meaning the good teams. The teams that they definitely should beat, they're beating, which is great. But this is my problem with this team. And this is what I noticed a while back, and I've noticed it even more watching them this week, is that this entire team relies on LeBron. And, yes, AD being out is a huge factor in that, I think. But I feel like I've seen it earlier in the season, too. And I noticed this with, like, Talon Horton Tucker, for example. Talon Horton Tucker is such an interesting prospect because, like, 
you can't say that he sucks, right? Like he he definitely has scoring talent. He's I think has upside as a good, pretty good two way player. Like he's gonna be a good like mid level guy probably for his whole career at worst. But he every time I watch him, I just know he's gonna pass the LeBron. He just dribbles around, and if if there's not a wide open shot for him, he passes LeBron. So now LeBron has set, you know, seven seconds on the shot clock and he's going to pull up from three and I'm going to pull up his three point numbers. Listen, really ever since he got to the Lakers, his three point shooting has been amazing. Like some of the three point shots he hits are crazy good. I mean, let's see. Yeah. He's shooting 37% this year on eight attempts. Like that's crazy. Eight attempts is by far career high. The last two seasons, he shot 6.3 each. And, you know, it was a decent percentage. Last year was about a little bit lower. Eight attempts per game. And it just kind of shows it. First of all, it shows that I think he's having to bail them out a lot more often because of when he gets the ball. And also maybe suggest that he's not super interested in going to the rim as much anymore. I mean, to be fair, like he's still, he's shooting 20 shots a game. So, you know, eight out of 20 is still less than half of his shots, but it's a lot, you know, close to half of his shots is a lot more than it's ever been in the past. And you just, you know, he's, he looks great right now. He's, you know, the numbers are great. He's carrying them on his back. It's working out for the most part, but is this sustainable? Is this something that, in March or April when, you know, AD is going to be back, but is he going to get hurt again or is he going to disappear? Like, I, I don't really care about 2020. I still think the jury's out on Anthony Davis. Like, I just, I don't know what I'm going to get from him. I, I know that he can be great, but will he actually be great on a consistent basis? We just haven't seen that. So if you're relying on LeBron to win you games every game, I just don't think you can beat the best teams in the league that way because we know Russell Westbrook's not going to bail you out. Russell Westbrook is, I mean, he is probably creating the second most offense on this team. And that's not a good thing. Like if Russell Westbrook is the one that's having to, to do some magic, like Russell Westbrook's magic is not very effective. (laughs) So I, I just don't know. Like, I think I trust Malik Monk more than almost anyone on this team. And that's scary. Like Malik Monk is a great player. I really, I really thought when he was in Charlotte that someone should trade for him. I thought he'd be a really great, like six man for somebody. And that's kind of what he is now. I mean, he's been starting, but he's basically a six man and he, it's been paying off. Like it works. And he's a good bailout guy too. Cause he can hit, you know, big shots at the end of the shot clock. But if LeBron James and Malik Monk are your bailout options, I, I just feel like that's not very sustainable. It's not. I mean, I feel like we're going to trash Russ. And I, I just need to say, it's not Russ's fault <laughs> that the Lakers traded for him, right? Because I didn't think I'd be saying this a couple months ago, Dylan. Could you imagine if they had DeMar DeRozan instead of Russell Westbrook right now? <laughs> And that was a very real possibility. Like they were like, according to DeMar DeRozan, which 
you know, always take that with a grain of salt because he wanted to go back to the Lakers very badly because he's from Los Angeles. Um, I just, they, <laughs> this team, what, what LeBron plays best next to, okay. That's what I was trying to get to think about Kyrie, right? Why was Kyrie so great next to LeBron? Because Kyrie could play on ball, but he could create his own shot out of nothing. Russ needs to have a very specific set of circumstances to create something out of nothing, right? He can, but it's better when he's handling the ball all the time. And then he's like, okay, you're like, Russ, go to work. Get us this bucket out of, we have nothing going on right now. We need you to just charge to the rim and get us like a look, right? Like either a kick out or a, or it's like a pull-up jumper. And they're not asking Russ to do that, do that on this team. And Russ is actually shooting pretty well, right? Like that's one of the concerns coming in compared to what his usual standards are. I mean, 30% is a lot higher than it was. I would bet you in what it was in Washington last year, right? <laughs> last year in Washington. Okay. He shot 31%. That's, that's better. It's better than what he shot in Houston and OKC, but asking Russ to get you a bucket is not what he he does. He's like, okay, he needs to be the general. He's had the ball in his hands all the time. And why, if you're LeBron, why are you like, I want to play next to that guy. It doesn't make sense because you need guys who can get something out of nothing. Right. If they had like 27 <laughs> year old mellow on this team, I think they could like win a uh, 27 year old mellow is like too good of a player. If they had, just someone who could get something out of nothing. They would probably be not favorites, but they could probably make the conference finals. You could talk yourself into it with Russ. Like, who are you going to play over Russ? Like that can justify that decision. It doesn't make sense. And Russ, like according to the numbers, isn't having the worst year, but if you just watch, it's like, it doesn't make sense. And again, I don't want to trash Russ because I, I love Russ's game. I'm, I kind of knew this was coming, right? Like where he would be shipped all around the league and just like given away constantly. But it's not his fault that the Lakers were like, this is the guy that'll be the missing piece because he's not. And it was so very clear. Even during the draft, you and I were like, this is dumb. (laughs) This is dumb. They should not have done this. And it's the easiest victory lap we could ever take. It's so easy. I'm not going to take it. I'm just going to be like, I wish Russ didn't have to go through this because he's probably getting a lot of vitriol that he frankly doesn't deserve because it's not his fault. They thought he was the missing piece. Yeah. I mean, it was just a common sense, like bad move. I mean, it's like instantly it happened. It's like, yeah, this was stupid. And especially when you consider that they gave up some pretty good players that really helped the Lakers be successful in the past couple of years. I mean, Kuzma and KCP were massive in that finals run. Like they, you know, they weren't super consistent, but they had games that really mattered for them. And, you know, there's the opportunity cost angle too, where you look at, well, could they have got Buddy Heald maybe? I mean, Buddy Heald torched them the other night. Buddy Heald, I still, I think Buddy Heald is the most underrated player in basketball. Like he is unbelievably good at literally everything on offense. He is incredibly talented on offense. If you look at the shooting numbers over the past, like, three to five years, I think it's, like, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and then Buddy Heald. Like, I mean, I guess Clay Thompson's probably falling out now, but, like, Buddy Heald is right up there with those guys as some of the best shooters in the league. He can create his own shot. He's a great passer. He can play with anyone. I mean, him with AD and LeBron would be literally the perfect fit. 
he would be unbelievably good with those two guys. So you just look at the opportunity cost. You would have probably given up less to get Buddy healed. You would have paid less money. So whether this was a LeBron decision or a Polinka decision or whatever, to to throw that away or to throw DeMar away and go for Russ, it just really makes you question, like, what is what is this organization thinking? And I was listening to Bill Simmons the other day talk about this, uh, about how, you know, LeBron has just never been a good player picker. And it's amazing that these teams keep letting him do this because it just never works. And history kind of tells me that this was LeBron's call that it just makes the most sense. You know, I'm not, I don't think Polinka has like done an amazing job, but I have a hard time seeing him thinking that's the missing piece, but either way it's not working and it's not going to work ever. And this, the worst part is there's really no way out of this for the Lakers. There really isn't. And I mean, just like go through the list of like all time greats. Right. And I, I do, I'll bring it back to LeBron on the court because he's just incredible right now, but all time great players, right? Like Tim Duncan never, asked for teammates probably i i don't know who can really say right like you could say that there's a lot of mythologizing around tim duncan and like his you know ego or lack thereof which i kind of think is a little bit hyperbole but we'll we'll see later um i'm trying to think who else magic johnson (laughs) famously not a good gm michael jordan famously not a good gm those guys are lebron's peers Right. In terms of like all time greats, I would say the Mount Rushmore is of NBA is MJ, um, MJ, LeBron, Magic Johnson and Kareem. And three of those four guys have tried, you know, having heavy influence on basketball decisions. All three of them have majorly failed in that regard. Right. Larry Bird was really good at it, but even Larry had his own shortcomings. And we saw those, especially at the end of his Indiana tenure. And I think Larry I think Pritchard gets a lot of shit, but Pritchard did a good job of digging them out of a hole that Larry left them in, you know, after Larry's like, I'm done. So yeah, like no GM is perfect (laughs) or like no, no GM is perfect, but I'm sure they have better understanding of like the salary cap, right. Of like, okay, there, here's a young guy we like. And yeah, you're right about if they traded for buddy healed instead of Russ, they would have not traded KCP. They would have had their first round pick and you could have sent the first round pick somewhere else. You could have maybe kept Alex Caruso, which is probably honestly in the grand scope of their off season, probably the worst thing they did was not keeping Alex Caruso. Alex Caruso was an all defense caliber player last year and they didn't keep him. Could you imagine what they, he'd be helping this team so much right now, but they didn't want to keep him and they kept Taylor Horton Tucker instead. And I, I want to bring it back. You were talking about him earlier. You're right. He doesn't suck, but he needs to be on a team where he has the freedom to just like, okay, you're going to drive. We're going to play you as a six man or not six man. You're going to get be the second option off the bench. Every time you catch it, we want you to drive hard to the rim and you either make the pass or you shoot the layup, but you are going to drive to the rim every time you touch it. And I think that would be good for him. There's like, you're right. There's clearly talent there. And it's frustrating to see him be the scapegoat for the season when they're like, Oh, we, you know, we want to have something of some relative trade value. Who wants to trade for Taylor Horton Tucker right now? <laughs> like he's, he's not playing well. And there is very clearly talent there. He's shooting 22% from three right now. <laughs> he's just like, 
he doesn't fit with this team at all. It's frustrating and it's annoying. And I just want him like he could be such a good contributor somewhere like on a young team, right? Like, let's just say the magic, the magic could, should consider Taylor Horton Tucker for Terrence Ross, but with the way the Horton Tucker has played, I wouldn't do that right now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an interesting idea. And like, that's, that's definitely the way the Lakers should be thinking. It wouldn't shock me if a team like the Magic did something like that, maybe with a little bit more thrown in. But I thought the Magic should have traded Terrence Ross like three years ago, and he's still there. So they may never trade him. Um, and, hey, if they want to do that, then that's fine. But, yeah, it's it's just it's interesting. And I'm more interested to watch them, I think, when AD comes back because I do think that the way the offense operates right now is based on that lack of presence down low and the fact that they just don't have like outside of Russ and LeBron, they just don't have a ton of efficient kind of rim attacking. And I mean, that leaves the offense very stagnant. Like that's the thing I hate about watching them is it's just so stagnant. Like they just dribble a lot. They try to run some screens and dribble handoffs or whatever, but the ball always comes back to LeBron with less than 10 seconds to go. It's just not fun basketball. And yeah, like it's really fun to watch LeBron, you know, play as well as he's playing because, you know, this is, this is getting close to the end. So I think we need to try to appreciate like, you know, good games from LeBron like this. That's kind of how I've been trying to think of it. It's like, He's he's not going to be here forever. He's still playing really good basketball. So from that perspective, it's fun to watch him just do everything. But from a Lakers winning perspective, it's it's just really tough to watch. So since AD went down, uh, we everyone's been talking about it on the podcast, like you know NBA podcast, because it's literally all there is to talk about. He's played center since AD went down. Like he's been their starting center since AD went down. This is what he's been doing. 34 points a game, 10 rebounds, six assists, 1.7 steals, 1.4 blocks. And by my very rudimentary math, they are <laughs> less like they've won four and lost five in that stretch. And you brought up the last three games. Those were all games that if they didn't win, we'd be laughing at them. Right. And, you know, that's part of the thing that's been great about LeBron is that he's elevated our standards for his, what his team should be doing so high that we kind of ridicule him when he has an average team, but it's remarkable that this team is even average right now (laughs) based on like the level of talent there. Malik Monk can't defend a soul, right? (laughs) He just, he's not a good defender. It was a steal for them to get him on a minimum contract. I'll say, but still that doesn't change the fact that he can't play defense. Um, I'm trying to think like, Trevor Rees is washed. We talked about him being, although maybe that was just the Giannis effect, right? Like him playing against Giannis and looking utter, like, utterly outmatched. <laughs> I felt so bad for him in that series. Um, like Horton Tucker is not ready. Um, Mello's 37, right? They went either with extreme youth or they went with, you know, the old of, oldest of the old. And Mello's been really good for them. Mello's averaging 13 points a game, shooting 39% from three. Like he's been like embraced the role so well. I love the way, like the adjustment he's made, but it doesn't even matter, right? This team should be better and Mello should be more celebrated, but I don't think anyone cares about Mello right now. And that sucks. I do want to say um, of all like the 10 day guys that get signed or whatever, Stanley Johnson is looking like the best of all those. Like just in terms of like guys who are going to stick around. If Stanley Johnson doesn't stick around in LA, 
I, I mean, they have to fire Palenka. Like, that's a disgrace. Oh, we forgot to talk about the Rondo trade. That's something we forgot to talk about. But this, I mean, we're talking about the Lakers, so we can talk about talk about it in a sec. Um, <laughs> Stanley Johnson's playing really well for the Lakers right now. He's, I think he should honestly stick around and be the backup center. Like once Anthony Davis gets back and they play him as a small ball five, because he's basically functioning as their like center on offense right now. And he can actually guard people. <laughs> unlike some of the other guys on this roster. I mean, Dylan, I feel like we haven't gotten around a lot to this, this um, like your segment, but how have you liked what you've seen from Stanley Johnson in LA? I mean, yeah, he's, he's interesting as like, um, I mean, it'd be a different style, but like a Dario Saric at the five type of thing with the Suns, where you just have a strong dude that, yeah, like he's a little bit smaller, but a lot of backup centers, there's something wrong. Like we talk about that a lot. There's a lot of fun backup centers in the league, but there's something wrong. So you can throw a really strong, like three or four out there. Uh, they can defend basically anyone and see what happens. And Stanley Johnson makes a lot of sense in that role. I mean, Stanley Johnson has sadly not really panned out how a lot of people hoped. I remember, tw- I think it was 2015 draft. Everyone was talking about Stanley Johnson versus Justice Winslow. And everyone was saw everyone loved Justice Winslow, mostly because he just, you know, won the title with Duke. And I was like, I don't know. I kind of like Stanley Johnson more. And, like, they both suck, so it doesn't even matter at this point. And they're both in L.A., by the way, which is nice. Um, but, yeah, I, I I would like to see Stanley Johnson make something of his career because it's just been really weird up to this point, and he's bounced around a lot lately. And, I mean, hell, like, why not? You know, why not put him in, like, a small ball five roll and kind of just see what happens? And, I mean, at this point – his defense is definitely his best kind of asset and his strength. And I mean, a team like the Lakers should definitely take advantage of that. Stanley Johnson can't shoot worth a lick, but if you get him on like the roll, right. If you have him, I'm not saying he's this guy, but if you have him like a Draymond kind of role, <laughs> like I think Stanley Johnson's a smart basketball player. I really want to see it work in, in LA for him, but I just, I don't trust the Lakers. They haven't done anything to earn my trust. And while we're talking about the Lakers, let's talk about the Rondo trade. Um, so Rondo was traded to the Cavaliers and the Lakers, he was traded for Denzel Valentine and the, the Lakers sent Valentine to the Knicks. And I believe Valentine's been waived. If not him, then someone else has waived on the uh, Knicks. But the Lakers save a little bit on the luxury tax. That's not what we care about. Dylan, the Cavaliers get a backup point guard like hours after we talk about them needing a backup point guard. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm still recovering from the Rubio loss. I have to say, Uh, you know, Rondo is not a replacement. He'll never be Rubio, uh, which I never thought I'd say. But it's uh, it's it's something. Like, we didn't really have – like, the options for backup point guards for the, the Cavs were very bleak. And them coming out with Rondo, I don't know what to think of it because Rondo is just one of those guys where you just have no idea what you're getting. Like, he's he's smart. He's always going to be smart. 
he's kind of kind of like Rubio. He's become maybe a little bit more of a reliable shooter at times, not necessarily consistently, but he's a guy that, you know, he's rounded out his shot a little bit and the Cavs are looking like a playoff team right now. And, you know, playoff Rondo is, is no myth. I mean, it's pretty clear that he, he turns it up a notch in the playoffs. So I don't know. It's kind of a fun, fun addition for a really young Cavs team. That's probably ahead of schedule, but, you know, throwing a, a seasoned vet that's been in the league for 50 years at this point into that mix. I, I don't know. It'll be interesting at the least. I'm of the opinion that something is better than nothing when it comes to the point guard spot. Um, guy that I think would be interesting for the Cavs, Staren Collison. Mm. He signed a contract with the um, the Lakers and he's not going, he signed a 10 day with the Lakers to be a replacement player. He is not coming back. We know Darren Collison would probably would have gotten a big contract from somebody, not a big, but he probably would have gotten a starting point guard contract from somebody in the 2019 offseason if he decided to keep playing. But it sounds like he wants to keep playing and maybe there's going to be some minutes in Cleveland for a backup point guard. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. You know, I was curious about that because I was watching the Lakers. I saw Collison out there. I'm like, I wonder if he was like, you know what? Why don't I go get a 10-day check? Let's just get one more check. And I looked up how much do 10-year vets make uh, for a 10-day contract. And I believe it was like 180000 So Darren Collison could have just looked himself in the mirror and said, you know what, I'm done with basketball. But let me just go play like – a hundred minutes of basketball and make 180,000 just one last time. I have a feeling that's what he was doing. We'll see. Maybe he'll get that. He'll, he'll, uh, maybe he's trying to play for like a month and see how much money he can get. And then he's done, but I don't know. That was kind of my theory for him to just retire for, you know, seemingly good reason. And then to just come back all of a sudden for 10 day makes me think he's trying to get one last check, but Hey, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Um, hopefully he gets sticks around somewhere. Cause it looks like he wants to change his mind about playing, but I think it's time for us to move on. Any last Lakers thoughts before we move on to your Indiana Pacers? Well, you know, we didn't see much Kent Bazemore. So I do have to be thankful for that. Uh, Kent Bazemore is one of the guys that just, I'm still surprised is in the league. Like, he doesn't suck or anything, but every time I watch him, it's like, God, just the epitome of average. Um, so, happy to not see him. No disrespect to Baysmore, but, uh, you know, I'd rather watch Austin Reeves or, you know, Talon Horton Tucker just pass LeBron all game. So, there's something to be thankful for. Something to be thankful for right there. Shout out to Austin Reeves playing surprisingly well. Not surprisingly. I think a lot of people projected him to be a good rookie out of Oklahoma. But yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see where the season goes for the uh, Lakers. Last prediction, because we're not going to be talking about the Lakers till very late in the season. Do you think this team avoids the play-in or do you think that they are firmly like the, right now they're the sixth seed, but they're like a bunch of teams in the West are all bunched together. Right? So the five seed is the Mavericks. They're 20 and 18. The Grizzlies have some separation. They're four and a half games up on the Mavericks. 
Um, so they're the five seed. The Lakers are the six seed at 20 and 19. The Nuggets are the seven seed at 18 and 18. The Clippers are the eight seed at 19 and 19. And the Wolves are 18 and 20. So there's what? Two games separating nine and five right now. <laughs> and Dylan, I'm, I'm just curious. Do you think the Lakers have what it takes to stay out of the play-in race? No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, so like if you look at the, the way the standings break down right now, like it's still very early in the season, so I don't want to say anything for certain, but between the five seed and the nine seed, like it's going to be hard to break out of that in either direction. Like unless the Spurs reel off like 10 in a row, they have to cover two and a half games to get to the nine seed. Again, that's very possible, but it's not something they do overnight. And the same goes for the five to the four. There's four and a half games of separation there. So I feel like five and five to nine, you've got, let's see, five teams pretty much stuck in that area. The Lakers being one, and who are the two teams behind the Lakers, the Clippers and the Nuggets, who have two who have outstanding players? And I don't mean outstanding as in like very good. I mean outstanding as in they are currently not playing right now. They have outstanding players that are gonna come back soon. And yes, so do the Lakers with Anthony Davis, but I just trust the healthy Nuggets and Clippers a lot more than the healthy Lakers. And to be fair, the Clippers are very far away from Kawhi coming back. So that's not a, a super like that's not going to they're not going to make any jumps in the standing anytime soon is my guess. But they are only a half game back of the Lakers. So my guess is the Lakers move down. Um, you know, I just again, I, I just don't trust this team and I trust the other teams behind them a little bit more right now. Fair, it's fair. Um, let's go ahead and move on to your Indiana Pacers. They are 14 and 25, good for 13th in the East. It's funny. Last week we had the 12th and 13th teams in the Western Conference, and this week we have the 12th and 13th teams in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> I think it's a nice little bit of symmetry there in terms of like what we've done the last couple of weeks. Um, the Pacers are currently 14th in offense, which is better than I would have thought, and they're 22nd in defense, which is worse than I would have thought. Um, they're they have a positive point differential. That can't be right. <laughs> um, they're 14th in the league in net rating. That's at 0.5. That, that just can't be right. Um, the last week for them, they lost to the Hornets. They're on like a, what, six-game losing streak right now? They lost to the Hornets, 116 to 108. They lost to the Bulls, 108 to 106 on one of the craziest shots you'll ever see. They lost to the Cavs. 108 to 104. They lost to the Knicks, 104 to 94. And then in the what we were talking about in the introduction, the Kyrie comeback game, they lost 129 to 121. Um, Kevin Durant also had 39, 7, and 8 in that game. <laughs> so I wanted to point that out because he just was ridiculous in that game. Um, so here's what I wanted to do with the Pacers. And we're not going to do what we did last year. Do you remember last year, Dylan, when we did the Orlando Magic, like, a similar distance from the trade deadline where we were like, you know, this team isn't going anywhere. You know, we're, they're probably going to trade everyone. And we kind of like sent players to other places. Do you remember when we did that for the magic last year, the first time we're not going to do that this time (laughs) because I would have asked you to prepare, but I just want to point out something out when we did that exercise with the magic, they were 13 and 23 right now. The Pacers are 14 and 25. Like I said, so in a pretty similar spot to where the magic were this time, you know, last season, 
and Dylan, I, I just think like they're not going to wholesale blow it up like the magic did. They should probably think about it. <laughs> yeah. My takeaways from this week. And I want to say this. Yes. I am a Pacers fan. Technically. I have not watched a Pacers game in at least six weeks before this week. Like I have better things to do with my time. I just do. I have, I have articles to write. I have books to read. I have people to see and the Pacers are not any of the people that I want to see right now, but you know, because I'm a a hardworking man, I did, did stomach watching them this week. And this is the takeaway. Okay. They did not have DeMar DeRozan. They did not have Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant. Like that, that's the problem with this team. And this is something we've known for years, but Victor Oladipo not working out was like the nail in the coffin in this team before they actually knew it. Because, you know, you feel pretty good about getting Karis LeVert out of the Oladipo trade. But again, I, I like Karis LeVert. I don't love him. And that's the thing with this team is you have the guys you like but don't love. And even Sabonis. I think Sabonis, like we didn't see Malcolm Brogdon this week, so I'm just going to leave him out of it for now. But Sabonis is, he's just a, like a step or two below where you need him to be for this to be like a really good playoff contender. And I don't even want to blame that on him. Like this team is, is kind of built around him. And I think that's the problem. And I think that's why a lot of Pacers fans would rather trade him than miles Turner, even though from just a talent standpoint, he's better than Turner. Like it just makes more sense to, not to build around Turner, but if you're going to keep one guy, it's a lot easier to build a team with Turner there that doesn't revolve around Turner than build a team around Sabonis and try to win. Cause we've seen it. We've seen this. This is like what the fourth or fifth season of Sabonis in Indiana. It's good. Not great. That's what this team is. I mean, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine at the end of that game killed the Pacers. And by the way, that DeMar DeRozan game winner was absolutely insane. Like I, I knew that he had a game winner, but I didn't watch the clip. And the other day I was watching it. I knew he hits a game winner because I heard about it. And I was expecting him to, you know, dribble up to the elbow and pull up and sink it. Cause that's what he always does. This man realized like, Oh shit, I have two seconds left. He's like four feet behind the three point line just kind of jumps to the side off of one foot, throws up an absolute prayer and just sinks it. I mean, it was just, it was fun to watch. Like, you know, obviously like I knew the Pacers lost race. So I didn't care. It was really fun to watch him hit that shot. Like it was one of the crazier game winners. I think we've seen at least this season, but maybe even going back to last year, like it was just a really fun shot. And then Kyrie last night just sinks the Pacers. Like, Kevin Durant was obviously the the main, uh, you know, killer. Like, he had a very quiet 40 points in that game. But Kyrie was unstoppable in, like, the last five minutes. His ability to just stop on a dime and pull up for a swish is some of the best in the league. I mean, he moves so fast and then just stops right on a dime, pulls up, no problem. And that's why, going back to earlier, I think he's one of our favorite players to watch because he's just so crafty. He's so good at, at 
doing things that other guys aren't good at. <laughs> and that's why he's, he's one of the best shot makers in the league. So, you know, that, that's just really what it comes down to. The Pacers don't have guys like that. And even with Brogdon and even TJ Warren, who it even feels wrong to talk about Warren at this point, because he's been out for 15 years. I mean, you know, even having those guys healthy, it's a good, not great team. You've got a high floor and a low ceiling, and that's what the Pacers have always been. High floor, low ceiling. Basically, ever since I've been alive, or at least started watching the Pacers. Like, once Reggie Miller and Rick Smith's left town, it's been high floor, low ceiling. That's just how Herb Simon's run this team. All the GMs have fallen in line with that. And thank God this year that their talent is bad enough where I think right now they're in line for like the sixth pick. And this draft is looking pretty good. I mean, I think if you're anywhere in the top 10, I think you're going to get someone you're really happy with. Uh, obviously, being in the top five would be a lot better. But it's just it's just tough right now. And I think this is what they need, though. I think they need to just naturally be terrible so they can just get rid of some of these guys. You don't have to get rid of the whole team. Just get rid of a couple of guys that you know make a lot of money go ahead and sink your odds this year into the lottery and come out next year and, you know, make a run at the play-in. I mean, Dylan, you bringing up the Indiana Pacers lottery odds led me to do something I'm surprised I haven't done yet. I brought up tankathon.com, my favorite website. They are currently sixth in the lottery odds. They have a 37.2 chance of getting into the top four, 9% chance of getting the first overall pick. I... It's tankathon season, baby. Let's go. It's going to shock you, but the magic of the best lottery odds right now. Um, <laughs> That's scary. Imagine them with the number one pick. That's scary. But remember, the top three spots in the lottery all have the same percent chance of getting in the top four and getting the first pick. So it's true. It's a dumb system, if you ask me. But hey, what do I know? Um, <sighs> this Pacers team is just weird to me. And everything you brought up are all valid points. Like, TJ Warren hasn't played for like he played five games last year and it feels like we haven't heard from him since. And it's been a weird situation with him. Brockton's in the health and safety protocols right now. So it's not like he's, you know, injured or anything and missing a ton of time. But if there was a guy who was the most obvious trade piece on this roster, it's Brockton and they extended him. They can't trade him (laughs) this year. So he's off the board on Lavert. Was goes from being like the biggest steal of the Harden trade to now Jared Allen's the biggest steal of the Harden trade, and they're gonna the Pacers are seemingly trying to dump him. And Lavert, I think, is a guy, and I I don't know him, but it it just seems to me like there are some guys who get a big opportunity, right? And Lavert had a big opportunity in the bubble. Kyrie and KD didn't show up, and obviously Harden wasn't on the team yet, so he takes the team. And he's like scoring like 37 points a game in the bubble. I don't have the exact stats, so forgive me, but he goes off in the bubble, right? Like he has a showdown with Dame and I think they won. I think they beat the Blazers in a, like a crazy showdown. But so I think Levert is like, okay, I can do this. And then I don't think the Nets were like mad that they shipped him out for James Harden, you know, (laughs) I think they were fine doing that. And I I don't know if Levert's ready to accept that he's not the first option on a winning team. I don't know. Like this is only year five for him, but he's already 27. I don't, I just don't know if he's ready to accept that he's not like the top guy. And like the Sixers, 
I don't think the Sixers would do Levert for Simmons, right? Like, I don't think they do like a deal centered around that. I don't think Levert fits their what they're looking for in a guy that's trying to take them to the championship. Because at the end of the day, like Levert might be a little better than Tobias Harris, but you need a lot better than Tobias Harris. You need Tobias Harris to be the clear third guy. And I, I just don't know what you get for Karis Levert. I don't know. Maybe you can get Colin Sexton for him, right? Like the Cavs are trying to go all in. I think that'd be pretty dumb on Cleveland's part. But maybe you like maybe you try to convince the Cavs, hey, you guys have a chance to be, you know, a big team right now. You have a chance to win a playoff series this year. You need a guy who can create his own shot. <laughs> um it's tough. TJ McConnell isn't gonna play the rest of the year, I believe. They like their backcourt is so ravaged by the HSPs that Dwayne Washington and who's the other guy, Dwayne Washington and Kiefer Sykes <laughs> are their starting backcourt right now. Um, Justin holiday should probably be like, he's probably going to get you a haul, like something. Here's an idea, Dylan. Would you take a shot on THT for Jeremy lamb? Like, I think that's a guy you could maybe get like, how are you feeling about that? You made a face. I don't know what that face means. The face was duh. Are you any, anything for anything for Jeremy lamb? I'm interested in anything. What if you did Justin holiday and Jeremy lamb for THT and something else? Like maybe, I don't know. I, I think that's where it kind of starts to fall apart, but the Pacers have a lot of pieces that on a, like Justin holiday would be a great seventh man on a championship team. Um, Malcolm or Miles Turner would be like a great starting five on a championship team. Domas would be like, could potentially see himself starting for a playoff team. I mean, Brogdon would be a great complimentary piece. We've seen Brogdon be a great complimentary piece. Lavert, I'm not sure about. Warren needs to be healthy before I can say anything. And then Brissett, I, I don't think you trade him because what's his trade value, you know, like you're going to get like, going to trade him straight up for Kendrick Williams. Like, (laughs) I, I I don't know. It's just, they're in a weird spot and I like a lot of the guys on this team, but they just need to accept the fact that it's time to blow it up. But you brought up Herb Simon. They haven't picked higher than 10 since the eighties. <laughs> that needs to change. It, it's just way past time for that. Yeah. I mean, the trade situation is fascinating. I was thinking this last night while watching the Nets game. I guess it was this morning. Like, I'm going to be really sad when Justin Holiday gets traded. Justin Holiday is like my kind of guy. Like, I was really happy when they got him and re signed him because I thought he was going to leave for more money, but he stayed. And he's, he's just been a guy, I think it's been three, maybe four, even four years now, where he's just been, he's done everything they've asked of him. You know, he's played the four, he's made, a bunch of big three point shots. Like he's kind of like the modern day CJ miles for them. Um, and I like CJ miles a lot too. So, and by the way, I think CJ miles is on the comeback. Uh, the last time I checked the rumor mill. So I hope that's still uh, a thing, but yeah, it's, it's tough, but they just, they got to cut bait with some guys. I mean, holiday, I think definitely is going to be valuable. And if you pair him with someone else, like I think the Lakers would probably really be happy with holiday and lamb for if it's THT plus a pick or whatever, second round pick or whatever. 
Like, I think that's something they would take in a heartbeat, honestly. Because, hey, if they trade it for Russell Westbrook, they'll definitely trade for Jeremy Lamb. <laughs> but Jeremy Lamb is way better than Trevor uh, Ariza. So they're, they're at a point where any anything, basically anything, is an upgrade over some of those guys. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, you know Miles Turner is going to be in discussions. And as much as I don't want to trade him, like, let's be real. I would trade him like, especially if it was Charlotte coming through with, you know, I don't know who at this point I would have liked it more last year, them not trading him for something with bridges before bridges popped off. That sucks. Cause they can't get bridges now without giving up a first and Turner probably. And it's like, man, they could have done that maybe a year or two ago and, and got him, but I, I'm open to all things. And back to Karis Levert, you know, I talked on this podcast a lot last year about how excited I was to have him here. And I still believe in the talent, but I definitely think the role is a big factor. And on this Pacers team, he just has too much responsibility. Like the reason I loved him in Brooklyn is because he was coming off the bench and he was playing with two of the best players in the world. It just made sense. There's so much talent there, but when they're off the floor, you just give the ball to Karis Levert. He's going to make shots. And I think when they made that trade, I honestly think that if TJ Warren was healthy, Karis LeVert probably would have come off the bench. And I think if I think if TJ Warren was healthy this year, the same thing would be true. Because with as good as Duarte has been at times, you could very easily just start Duarte at the two, have Warren at the three, Turner, and then Sabonis, and then have McConnell and LeVert run the show on the bench with Holiday. I mean, I think you like, you don't, again, you don't have a team that's going to win the finals or even get there, but that's, that's a decent competitive team. And I think it would have made a lot more sense, but it's just health has been a a problem this year. And, you know, I don't want to overblow TJ Warren too much. Like I think I've kind of built him up a little bit more than I should have in the past, but listen, the last time we saw him, he was really freaking good. He made a lot of things work on both ends of the floor and swapping him out for Justin Holiday, who I love, but is just a lower ceiling player, I feel like has had a big impact on this team. So just, just you know, aside from Brogdon and Duarte, I don't really care much about who goes and who doesn't. I mean, Miles, I, I would like them to see them. If they do retool instead of rebuild, which is a very Pacers possibility, yeah. Um Miles, Brogdon, and Duarte seems to be the way to go because Levert can't shoot and Sabonis can't shoot. And they have way too many non-shooters on their team right now. Would you like to guess, Dylan? Just just would you like to guess? I'm, I'm sure you haven't looked at this on Cleaning the Glass. Where they rank as a team in three-point shooting? Oh, God. Uh, it's probably bottom 10. It's bottom five. So you're correct. <laughs> and they're 26th. In three-point percentage. And just looking at the three-point percentages on their team right now, Brogdon's shooting 31% from three. Sabonis is somehow shooting 30% from three. And that, Carlisle. <laughs> oh, God. I love Carlisle, but I'm going to talk about that in a second. Sabonis is shooting 2.43s a game, making 30% of them. Levert's shooting 31% from three on five attempts. Miles is shooting 36%, which you know, is like in line with his career percentages, but he's a, we know he's a better shooter than that. Duarte shooting 35%. We know he's a better shooter. Holidays also at 35. We know he's a better shooter. 
Carlisle, man. <laughs> this is Demontis Sabonis. He is not Kristaps Porzingis, okay? A post-up is a bad play for Kristaps Porzingis, right? He's too thin, but hell, Kristaps is doing better on post-ups this year than he did last year, right? Under um, Jason Kidd. And Sabonis is a is a great post-up player. Like, not great, but that's what he does best, right? What do you what are you supposed to do as an NBA coach? You were supposed to optimize what your players do best. Why is he not optimizing what Domas does best, which is making plays out of the post? That is what he's the best at. And he should not be shooting 2.43s a game. If I was a coach, I'd find him every time he took a three. He should not be taking threes at all. He can't shoot. And that's okay. But Carlisle has this idea in his head that Oh, you, like he's embraced analytics too much, right? <laughs> when what the like, or I'll say he embraced the wrong kind of analytics. When what the analytics are probably saying is a Domas Savonis post up is probably a high efficiency play because he. What's the most high efficiency way to use the post? You know the answer to this, but the listener might not. Is that the most high efficiency way to use the post is as a passer, and Domas is a really good passer, and to not use that, it's really. I mean, Dylan, I is. Am I right? Is it really dumb on Carlisle's part to not use Domas as a passer? I mean, yeah, that was like, that was what's made this offense tick in the past is that you had a bunch of guys that could move around. They could dribble, they could get to the rim. And Sabonis was kind of the, the hub of all that. And it's just, it's not a Carlisle style. Like, all of his bigs, like, he's never had a big like Sabonis, really. And to be fair, there's not a ton of bigs like Sabonis. You know, you could probably count the amount of centers in the league that are worthy of being ball handlers or or offensive hubs on one or two hands. Like, there's not that many guys like that especially with the way the league is now with shooting and pick and roll. It's, it's a lot of Clint Capella's like we're going to talk about next, you know, there's more Clint Capella's in the league than there are Sabonis. So it's understandable that he doesn't really get that. And I also think that's part of the reason why Sabonis is definitely going to be the one traded. <laughs> if they actually pick between him and Turner, because Turner just makes more sense for Carla and he makes more sense for most coaches, I think, but yeah, he, he should never be shooting threes. Like, I'm not opposed to to running one or two plays a game if he's wide open at just seeing because he can hit him. I, I just think there's a there's a what a point of diminishing returns with it. Like he shot three last night, or this was against the Knicks, but like I guess he only shot one last night and he made it. So it's like he can make them, but obviously he should be in the post and he should be looking for cutters like. You know, losing Doug McDermott, which I think was a big loss, and we kind of knew that that's, this was going to happen because, like, he – McDermott was awesome last year. And I actually give credit to Bjorkren. Like, I, I think this year is actually showing how good of an offensive coach Bjorkren was. Like, he, he's, he was a, he's a talented coach. It was the other stuff that was a problem with him. He was a talented coach. Like, I don't think you can deny that, but – the offensive improvement the Pacers made with him compared to Nate McMillan, but you, like you could see it. I mean, last year was the best offense the Pacers have had in a long time. And, you know, McMillan and Vogel were never really offensive coaches, so it makes sense. But 
you know, Carlisle had like what the best offense of all time a couple years ago or one of them. So, you know, like he knows what he's doing and I just, I, I don't know if Sabonis is the right fit for him and either way he needs to be passing. Cause that's, that's what Sabonis has done the entire time he's been with the Pacers and that's what's worked for them. Yeah. It's, it's just ridiculous that in Carlisle had Dirk, right? We're not talking about some like scrub here. We're talking about one of the 20 best players of all time. And he's like, you know, maybe not all big men are the same, right? Like you can't use Chris Asperzingis like you use Dirk. You can't use Sabonis like you use Chris Asperzingis. You can't use Dirk like you use Demontis Sabonis. They're not the same players, right? Dirk obviously was a legend by the time Carlisle got there. So this is not apples to apples comparison, but it's, it's just dumbfounding that Carlisle would think, you know, this Sabonis guy, I mean, it's very obvious he's favored Turner like the whole time, right? Like, I think we could have seen this coming. Like the way he likes, the way he envisions basketball, Turner is his idea of a center, but that doesn't mean Sabonis is bad. He's been a very, like last year, he was a really good center. Like that's last year, again, they hated Bjorken, but last year was by far the best year of his career. I don't think it's close. And I I just want to see him on a team that utilizes him and can protect like his, you know, his defense with length on the wings. I I just want to see that. Like, I think Orlando, like if they want to take a shot on a guy, like, Hey, we drafted you come back here. We have a lot of length on the wings, you know, just try something. I don't know. I I, (laughs) shout out to Sabonis. He's a really good player. Um, And not a reverse shout out to Rick Carlisle. Um, for not using them correctly. Any last Pacers thoughts, Dylan, before we move on to the Hawks? No. Th- this will be the last time I watch them until we talk about them next. So we'll, we'll see. The, what next- <laughs> the next time we watch them next, um, they might have a completely different team. So we'll wait to see on that front. Um, the Atlanta Hawks, 17 and 20, good for 12th in the Eastern Conference. They have the second best offense in the league at the moment. And they have the 27th best defense. They're a neutral net rating on their last week. They've had a pretty, they've had a pretty interesting week. I, on the 2020 draft, somehow I must've clicked on a Kongwu's somehow. I don't know if I use that tab for something else. Okay. So the last week they had, um, they beat, they lost to the bulls one, 17 to 131. They beat the Cavs 121 to 118. They lost to the Blazers 131 to 136 in a game where Anthony Simons and Trey combined for 99 points um, between the two of them. And then they beat the Kings 108 to 102. They're tw- they're 12th in the East still in their defense is horrendous. But we, we got to start with Trey. <laughs> like he's just he, in spite of all the madness. You know, they've been really ravaged by health and safety protocols. They still, Boyan Bogdan, or not Boyan, Bogdan Bogdanovich is in health and safety. John Collins. Um, DeAndre Hunter is out with, you know, the wrist injury he suffered in November. So he should actually be in, on track to return soon. Um, Solomon Hill. We didn't talk about him. He's going to miss the rest of the year with a right hamstring tear. Gorgie Jang is in health and safety protocols. Um <laughs> they're just in a really bad spot right now, but Trey, Trey's having the best season of his career. 28 points a game. Um, career high in field goal and three-point percentage at 46 and 38. It's back to getting to the line seven times a game, 9.5 assists, um, a steal, four rebounds. Dylan, 
I, I have a proclamation. Okay. I haven't made a whole lot of these. I send them to Caleb Lynn all the time. Our friend, I believe Trey young is currently the second best point guard in the league. And he's, he can get any shot he wants. Right. We always ragged on him, you know, for maybe relying on the three too much. And he's shooting still seven shots from three, but I think it's indicative that that's only a third of his shots now as compared to like half compared to like some other, you know, high usage point guards. He, he feels like he can get any shot from the mid range. He feels like he can get to the basket anytime he wants. Dylan, am I crazy for saying that Trey Young is the second best point guard in the NBA at this moment in time? I don't think it's crazy, but it's just funny because the very first thing that came to my mind was man, I can't wait to have the Luca versus Trey conversation in like ten years. It's it's really amazing how it's turned, especially when you throw Cam Reddish into the mix because that definitely matters. But like, I wonder what the odds were back then versus now for Trey to actually finish with the better career. I would love to see how that line has moved. And listen, I'm not trying to say that Trey's definitely better, but he's already made it further in the playoffs. And it's not like he had an easy road there either. You know, you you could discount the East all you want, but I mean, beating the Knicks isn't that impressive, but I don't know that, that Philly team, even though Ben Simmons choked still pretty tough and they gave Milwaukee a good run as well. Like, I don't know. It's interesting. And Watching Trey at the end of that Portland game was just insane. Like they had no shot of winning that game and he just kept hitting threes. <laughs> like he did not give up. And like, it was at the point where I'm like, is this game going to go to overtime? And I knew Portland won, but there was like a minute left and they both, both teams scored like 12 points in a minute. I'm like, did this game go to overtime for this scoring to get to where it did? I mean, Trey is just unbelievable. And, you know, coinciding with that, we're getting, we're getting a hardened Capella 2.0. I mean, as good as Trey was that game, Capella 10 of 10, 22 points, 11 rebounds. And you can give a very good amount of credit to Trey for that. But like these two are just tied at the hip. It's just amazing. The impact they have on each other. Like (laughs) we talk a lot about Steph's gravity but the Warriors have really never like their game has never really been pick and roll. You know, like that's like out of all of the really good shooting teams, I feel like the Warriors have utilized pick and roll probably less than almost anyone. If you really think about it, like they've never had a strong role, man, that they've just abused. And like they've done it with Draymond and other guys. Don't get me wrong, but they don't really create their the majority of their shots that way. But Harden with Capella, like that was all they did. And now it's happening with Trey, where there's gravity being pulled in two directions. You know, you have Capella pulling the gravity to the rim, where this guy can very easily make every shot at the rim. Like you have to pay attention to that. But at the same time, Trey could pull up from 35 feet out and sink it multiple times in a row. So it's just really fun watching those two together because they are just so in sync. And they have such a great impact on each other. Like, it's very easy to just give Trey all the credit and say that he makes Capella so much better. But this is the second team we've seen this happen with Capella. And, yeah, like, at the end of the day, it's probably going to be two Hall of Famers that he played with here. But, I mean, Capella has a huge impact, too. 
in creating the space and gravity for Trey to thrive. So, you know, I think those two guys are the main ones to focus on this week just because they were like, aside from Herder, who I definitely want to talk about, like those were really the only two guys that we actually knew basically that played. I mean, there's like, there was a lot of TLC. There's some Skylar Mays who I like. I actually liked what I saw from Skylar Mays, but like, Outside of that, it's it's DeLon Wright just sitting in the corner praying that no one passes him the ball. Like it was mostly Trey and Clint the Capella this week. And I mean, it's it's definitely showing up in the box score that, you know, they're not winning a ton of games because of this. But either way, it, it's amazing to watch those two play together. I mean, the defense too. I think the defense and how bad it is starts with those two as well. But let's let's talk about the positives with them first. I mean, you're right. That pick and roll is lethal. <laughs> and I think Trey this year has done a lot more of like rejecting the screen, you know, instead of embracing it and running into it. But that's okay because he can, like, it feels like he can get anywhere he wants. And I'm, I'm looking on cleaning the glass because I was curious about his shooting percentages. He's shooting 54% from the long mid-range, 59 for 110. And 47% on all mid-range shots. <laughs> He's just ridiculous for the mid-range. Like, honestly, if I think mastering the mid-range, we see Chris Paul. That's how he stayed in the league for as long as he has is because he mastered the mid-range. And plus, Trey has the added element of he has that three-pointer in his back pocket. So... I think really he's unstoppable on offense at this point, (laughs) as crazy as it is to say, he's just, you know, he gets to his spots whenever he wants. He, he's not a great finisher, right? He's only at 58% at the rim, but he gets there. It's not like he's not shooting him at the rim, which is important because that's one of the ways you draw fouls. It just feels like his bag on offense. And we know he's like an incredible, like he's an incredible point guard too. Like if he didn't have his scoring ability, he could stick around in the league. He'd be a starting point guard. Maybe not a starter because of his defense, but he'd be a, like a backup point guard. He'd be like Tyus Jones. Not Tyus Jones because he turns the ball over way more than Tyus does, but you get what I'm saying. He'd still be in the league because he's passing is incredible. And all that together, like, yeah, the defense isn't great. Ja can't play defense either, and neither can Dane. So it's like we're splitting hairs here when you're talking about the defense between those three. <laughs> Because I think the top four right now, it's Steph is the easy top point guard. I don't really think you would debate that. Then when we sit down to do our top 100 from this year, it's going to be between Ja, <laughs> Cha, Trey, and Dame for that second point guard spot. And I, I just got to go with Trey. Like, he's unstoppable on offense. But the defense is... Uh, <laughs> I, I have to say, Dylan, just watching some of their games this week, it feels like Capella jogs on defense sometimes. Like, and I understand Trey is like horrendous on defense, but, and I understand they're missing a lot of their defensive pieces right now too. Like Collins is out. Um, Reddish didn't play that much from what I saw. Um, Collins, Hunter, like you're missing so many defensive pieces for your team, but it, it, it just, it feels like Dylan Capella is not, I wouldn't say he's a top 50 player again this year. I looked at our rankings before we did the podcast today. You had him at 39. I believe I had him at 46. I would not have him that high this year. Just because it feels like the impact on the defensive end isn't what it was last year. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the center rankings in general are going to change a lot. Like just off the top of my head, I can't think of one center that I would move higher. Honestly. Like, I think 
I can think of one. Jared okay. Allen. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, Jared Allen will definitely move up. Outside of that, like Valanchunas, like I, I, I don't want to blame him too much. And I gave Stephen Adams the benefit of the doubt last year. Steve, yeah, Stephen Adams, I'm not going to move up, even though he's been good. Uh, like Valanchunas probably moves down. Vucevic probably moves down. And that's not necessarily his fault. It's kind of just like priority of other players probably. But yeah, Capella, I agree. I mean, I feel so bad for players like him. Like good centers that have terrible defenders around them. It just makes you look so much worse. And I do agree that he's probably not putting in the best effort possible. But, you know, I'm going to keep an eye on it. But yeah, like I, I think his impact on defense is amazing. Or I mean, offense and, you know, one of the things last year I did love about him was the defense. And I think that was why I put him so high was like outside of Gobert and Bam and Embiid. Like, I think Clint Capella on both ends of the floor, it's very easy to consider him as like, well, I, I guess Jokic definitely has to be thrown into that mix defensively now. But and Jokic will be an interesting on the top the uh, top 100 next year as well. But like Clint Capella has just been a sound two-way player for his whole career. So it's kind of weird to see the slippage on defense, but I don't know. This year has been so weird just in general. Like I I don't want to make huge moves on someone like Clint Capella when the circumstances are – almost built for him to fail right now on defense, but you know, it's something to monitor. I I feel like his effort on defense though, like it feels like he's been replaced. You sent me a stat earlier this year where Collins had some crazy efficiency as a role man. I think it was like 1.101. I don't remember what it was, but it was some crazy efficiency, like points per possession as a role man. And it feels like he's kind of been replaced as the lead role guy by John Collins, who's, you know, it, it just feels like Dylan, that leads me to a larger point. We didn't see Collins this week, but this team has a touches problem. Like they have guys, a bunch of guys who need the ball and you have a clear top dog. And those two things don't go together, <laughs> right? Those two things aren't compatible and they, they got to make a trade. They got to ship somebody out of here. Somebody that wants shots. And the obvious answer is Cam Reddish, but I don't know if I'd trade Cam Reddish if I was the, the Hawks. Ideally, this is how I would do it, right? My starting five would be Trey, it'd be Herter, it'd be um, Hunter, it'd be Collins and Capella. And then Bogdanovich and Gallinari are coming off the bench and then you surround them with like DeLon Wright or whoever, you know, whoever you have in Trey Stead and then Okongwu, right? That's how I'd do it, which actually makes Reddish the odd man out. (laughs) So in my scenario, I would be trading him. But it just feels like, Dylan, it just feels like there's too many cooks in the kitchen on this team and they can't sustain this rate like how many shots are there in a given game let alone with the way the pace has decreased this year yeah i think reddish creates the touches problem honestly because reddish knows he's good now and i don't think that's a good thing because reddish took a lot of shots when he was bad like especially in college like he didn't take a ton of shots with the hawks really earlier on but now he knows he's good he saw in the playoffs last year he's 
proven it for the most part this season so far. Like he was seven of 19 last night, you know? And again, there's a lot of shots available with guys out, but like he knows he's good and that's going to be really good for someone else. But this Hawks team, I don't think it's good. And it's just like, I was trying to think when you were talking from a value standpoint, and this creates a whole new problem. So, you know, we can discuss this further because I, I, I think I agree that reddish is probably the one that makes the most sense to trade, but just from a value standpoint, does John Collins for Jalen Brown straight up? Does that work? Do you think? Probably not for the Celtics. I think though, I would like it if, you threw in like reddish if I'm the Celtics, mm. but I think that would probably have to be what would make it work. But Jalen Brown to the Hawks has been what's made the most sense for a while now for both for Jalen Brown and the Hawks, <laughs> because Jalen Brown needs more touches too. And that way you calcify your top two guys. You have a clear pecking order and you get a guy who needs a lot of shots out in Collins and you get a guy out who wants to take a lot of shots out in reddish and Bogdanovich is fine being like the fourth option. We've seen that before. And if he's the fourth option, he's a hell of a fourth option. So I'll be really curious to see. They are in desperate need of like a consolidation trade. We talked about this in the offseason, but like this stuff has like actual real life implications, right? Like when you don't have enough shots, it translates to off the court stuff too, because how do you get paid in the NBA? For the most part, you get paid by being a scorer. Most people don't get paid for their defense. Dylan Brooks is on a bargain contract right now <laughs> because he's not like a, you know, offense primary player. And right now he's averaging 19 points a game. So, you know, a little bit touche in my point there. I, I brought up Dylan Brooks though. And I want to bring up the Grizzlies because I think they have the shot selection down pat, right? Obviously, you know, Dylan Brooks is going to take way too many shots. That's just a given with him. But right now their shot distribution is Jaws taking 19 a game. Dylan Brooks is at 17 a game. Desmond Baines at 14. And then Jaron's at 13. The next closest guy is Melton at 9.4. Then it goes down to Kyle Anderson at 7.3. Just listen to how many guys are competing for shots in Atlanta right now. (laughs) Okay, this is honestly crazy. So Trey's at 21.2. And then you have Collins at 12.1. Reddish at 10.6. Bogdanovich at 10.5. Hunter at 10.1. That's already, you know, one more guy at 10 than the Grizzlies have. And then you add in the fact that Herder is at 9.6, Capella is at 9.3, Gallo's at 7.7. So the eighth guy on the Hawks is taking more shots than the sixth guy <laughs> on the Grizzlies <laughs> to give you an idea of like what kind of shot selection problems we're talking about. And that's just not enough, right? You need to have more clearly defined roles. And Nate McMillan's a good coach. I think last year might've been the peak of Nate McMillan. I don't know. We'll see. It might be a little too early to say. But I, I just feel, Dylan, that the consolidation trade is necessary. Like, I mean, honestly, Reddish and Bogdanovich, there would be a lot of teams chomping at the bit to get those guys. And I, I think that the Hawks just need to look around the league and be like, okay, we need to get a solid second starter or a solid second star, right? Zach Levine would have been perfect for this team a year ago if the Bulls hadn't gone in the direction they'd gone in, but they can't now because he's <laughs> he's Zach Levine now. He's not Carlin Hey Towns is probably off the board now because they're too they're they have a better record in Minnesota than the Hawks do right now. <laughs> so they're probably off the board. 
feel they have a better record than the Hawks do in Washington. So that's off the board. The Celtics have like, they're a couple of games ahead of the, the Hawks. So why would you make a trade with them? It's really weird. And it's, it's probably not going to get resolved this year. I, I just can't think it is because why, how could it like, who would want to make a trade with them? The Kings don't have anything that the Hawks would want. Like just the teams thinking that are worse than them. Why would the Pelicans trade Brandon Ingram right now? <laughs> when you don't know if Zion's going to play, who do the Spurs have that you want? Who do the, like, why would you trade for Ben Simmons? There's just nothing that makes sense. And it, it just feels like they're going to be stuck in this state of arrested development for a little while. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the sad thing, but when you think about it, the Eastern conference finals run last year was not supposed to happen. And it's the same way. I look at the Cavs right now. Like the cat, and I've been saying this for weeks that the Cavs should not make a trade. I know they want to, and I know, like, it wouldn't kill me if they did it because when you have Garland and Mobley alongside Allen, like, you have a really freaking solid core. And if you want to make a move, I get it. And by the way, Kevin Love is having his best season in a long time. Like, I think he's shooting like 44% from three or something. Like, he has been amazing. So that contract is still terrible, but it's not as terrible, which makes trade options a little bit interesting. Uh, so that'll be something to track, but I still think the off season makes more sense for them, uh, especially when you consider Colin Sexton's situation. But that's, I, I kind of view them the same way as the Hawks, where the Hawks are going to look at themselves last year as making the Eastern Conference Finals and giving the team that won the finals a really good run and say, we need to capitalize on this and make something happen now. But they're still very young. They still have a lot of flexibility. And with the options available right now, it's just hard. It's hard to make a move. Like going back to the the Collins and Reddish for Jalen Brown thing or whatever it would be. Like my problem with that and again, like if you just look at the top three players in that situation, you're going to have Trey, Jalen Brown, and Clint Capella. Like that's a really solid trio that's probably going to, you know, it's tough to say finals contender, but that's like an Eastern Conference finals contender for like the next, you know, few years. The problem is you are all of a sudden relying a ton on DeAndre Hunter, who has just not been healthy for two years. That scares me. And I don't really trust Reddish's health either because he was hurt a lot last year as well. But I've talked about this before. I think Hunter is really talented. He has a lot of upside on both sides of the ball. And I think he can be a 20-point scorer. Like, I really do. And I, he's already a very good defender. It's just the health really scares me. And if you're going to trade Collins, you have to have Hunter be good. That, that's what's really interesting about their situation is you've got to do something. Like, you probably have to package. I think trading Bogdanovich with, with someone is probably the easiest uh, for the Hawks to swallow. And, I mean, you could, you could convince anyone that that's a good trade, so it's not like it's that hard. But I don't – like, I think Jeremy Grant maybe makes more sense than some of the names you mentioned. But even then, it's a little shaky he's kind of outside of their time horizon, I would say. So I don't know. It's, it's probably best for them to just not do anything unless Cam Reddish 
can bring a really nice haul in, but there's always surprises in the trade deadline, so we'll see. But the landscape right now definitely doesn't look too great. I mean, you have Gallinari, who I just realized I saw today that four million of his twenty three next year is guaranteed. Mm. So that's like a pretty intriguing trade piece right there. I it's just the problem is is like Harris Levert doesn't like just going back to all the guys, right? Like who on the Pacers makes sense for the Hawks right now? No one does. And you just go through the list of teams you could talk yourselves into selling. Like, why would you play CJ McCollum next to Trey Young? You know, why would you play what what use does Nurkic have there? Maybe Covington, but like you're making a move, you're trading a young player for a guy <laughs> who's not even starting for the worst defensive team in the league right now. <laughs> so I I struggle to just see. Like Gallinari is Gallinari and Reddish are the obvious two guys that would get traded. And I, I, I struggle to see how this ends up well for Atlanta. Maybe they, you know, miss the playoffs this year. Maybe they, I think they they'll fight their way back into the plan. They're too talented not to, but right now the way it's looking. So they're 17 and 20, the Knicks are 18 and 20 in the 11th spot and the Celtics are 18 and 20 in the 10th spot. So they're a game behind both those teams. They're two games behind. They're a game and a half behind the Wizards at 19 and 19. And they're two games behind the Hornets at 20 and 19. And then also two games behind the Raptors, but the Raptors have played less games than they have. So we'll see what the Raptors do once they um, make up all the rest of their games that had to be postponed. I I think they can fight their way back into the play-in, but Dylan, I don't see them making the playoffs. I think that's going to be too much to ask because right now they're four and a half games behind the Cavs. And it, that's just a lot of ground to make up. And we see like that takes like weeks. You need the Cavs. You need the Cavs and all the teams above you to just go on all losing streaks. And then you need to go on a massive winning streak. And we just know that doesn't happen. <laughs> Yeah, it's a tough spot, man. Like with their defense being so bad, it's like where where do you get the relief from? And obviously the injuries, like those guys coming back, hopefully help. But I don't know. Like unless an injury happens, it's hard to see a team above them just having the bottom fall out. I will say I, I don't trust the Wizards. Of all teams, that team makes the most sense to fall off. And as we've been talking about for months, I still think there's a trade there. Uh, by the way, is Rui Hachimori even played? No, he hasn't. I don't think he's even been on the team. Yeah, that's that's odd. I thought he was supposed to come back for a while now. So, okay. Uh, and Thomas Bryant is out too. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they actually have some upside. So, I don't know. I, I still don't trust them a ton. Um... The Hornets have been pretty good, but maybe not as good as I hoped. Toronto is like what we expect. Like, and, and the thing with Toronto is they just naturally have such a high floor because of their defense. Like their defense is so solid and they have just so many talented players. It's hard to see them falling out. Boston, I think Boston's been the maybe the biggest surprise to me so far with just that they haven't, they just haven't been good. I mean, there's really no other way to say it. I guess it's not too surprising, 
but I, I don't know. This this part of the East really is weird. Like, I think the way it's separated right now is it's going to be those teams just bouncing around. Like, unless the Cavs have something go wrong, I, I think they, like, that top six feels about right, at least for the time being. And then, you know, seven through ten feels about right. Like, the Knicks hanging around is adorable. We'll see what happens there. But, like, the good news for the Hawks is that they're, I think they're as low as they'll get. Like, they have a four-game lead on the Pacers. That's that's going to hold. So, they just got to start beating some teams in the East. Like, that's really what it comes down to. They've got to start beating some teams in the East. Again, not having John Collins out there, like, really hurts. You know? Like, we haven't really talked about that. But not having John Collins on the floor hurts. And we saw that this week. Um, you know, again, I don't trust DeAndre Hunter. But it's it's, it's tough. Like after la- after last postseason, it, it kind of sucks to see them floundering right now. But you know, it's it's still early. It's still early. They have a lot of time to bounce back. Um, we'll check back in on them towards the end of the season, maybe earlier, given the way health and safety protocols are going. We we reserve the right to flip flop teams like we did during the first half of the season. So I will say, um, just looking on the league sa- summary on cleaning the glass. Um, all the top 10 teams in defense are 500 or over with the exception of the Celtics. There are a few teams in the top 10 in offense who are under 500. So I, I don't think I need to say anything more than that. Um, Dylan, I think it's time for shameless plugs. Make sure you check out Linsanity. Linsanity will be coming out at the same time as this. Um, had a little bit of snafus with me getting that and then me going to publish that today. But that the last part was on my end, Caleb, if you're listening to this. So don't t- please don't be mad at me. Um, <laughs> I will have that out tomorrow. Um, make sure you check out Circle City Cinema. They're going to be doing a book of Boba Fett podcast every week with Bryce. He's going to, Zach is going to be doing that with Bryce. So make sure you check that out. Um, Dylan did a solo divine rhyme last week. Any, uh, you guys going to do get together or still nothing on that? Hey man, I'm just blowing in the wind here. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm letting Will just do his thing for now. It seems like that's, I have no other option. So, Hey, you know, we're going to get a, a natural break, I guess here to start the new year. So that's fine. And, and I do want to say also that I, I may or may not be appearing on Circle City Cinema in the coming weeks, just to put that out there. Ooh, what, can we get a preview of what you might be discussing on Circle City Cinema? I I won't I won't spoil it too much, but there's a certain movie discussing a very important financial crash within the past 20 or so years uh, that me and Zach will be discussing. Does it star uh, Steve Carell, Christian Bale, um, Ryan Gosling? <laughs> It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it sounds, that sounds about right. Yeah. I love that movie. I am so jealous that, that you get to talk about it. I love that fucking movie. Um, that's, I've also, I will also be appearing on Circle City Cinema um, to talk about another possible Michael Lewis book. It'll be more of an addendum, right? Because Bryce and Zach already talked about Moneyball. But I wanted to add the book reader's perspective. I've never read the big short I want to because Lewis is probably the greatest. <laughs> is probably one of our greatest authors at the moment. Um, But Moneyball is probably my favorite book ever. Like just, and I'm not even a big finances guy, but he just, the way Lewis writes, 
it's like a ubiquitous kind of writing where everyone can love it. I think and Moneyball, my my cover, my uh, edition of Moneyball is like tattered because I've read it so much. <laughs> yeah, I haven't read either book, but the movies I think speak to the story. I mean. Like, obviously, they're real stories, so it's not like he came up with them or anything. But and I, I should read them, especially as much as I read lately. Like, I I should fit those in because I was just sitting around uh, last week some point. I'm like, I have to buy the big short. Like, I went to Amazon Prime because I was reading a lot on the financial crisis because that's just kind of what I do for my job is I like to learn about some of like the past financial crisis and like why they happened. And I'm like, I have to watch this movie again. I haven't watched it in a while. I just, I bought it. I'm like, I have to buy this because I'm going to want to watch it again. I watched it and I texted Zach the next day. I'm like, we have to talk about this. It's such a good movie. And the actor, like the acting pool in there is just unbelievable. I mean, some of the heaviest hitters you can find. Um, A little bit of Jeremy Strong too, by the way, which is always, uh, I forgot about that. But he he is in that movie, um, which was a nice surprise because I haven't watched it in a couple of years, I think. So, hey, man, like everything's coming full circle around here. And uh, yeah, it's two two great movies. Have you ever this is a little little riff. Have you ever read The Blind Side? I have not. The Blind Side is a lot different than the movie. Not be, not for the reason you think, though, like all the story is in there. Like um, you've seen the Blind Side movie, correct? Yeah. Okay. So the Blindside book isn't just about Michael Orr, right? The Blindside book is about Michael Orr. It's about the left tackle, right? Like that's the Blindside, mm. and it's about how Bill Walsh in the 1980s, Lawrence Taylor was a menace, and Bill Walsh needed to find a way to combat Lawrence Taylor. So he paid a bunch of money and found a really good left tackle. And that's like really the crux of the book is like what makes a good left tackle. And it's a fascinating book. I have a copy. I'll let you read it. It's really good. <laughs> that That's interesting. Cause yeah, like that's way different than the movie where the movie was like more of a heartwarming, like, Oh, we turned uh, Michael or basically a homeless kid into like superstar left tackle. So that that's interesting to get more of a football perspective on it. It's really, it's a really good book. You have to read it. And if you're in the audience, you have to read it. Um, Dylan, we've really rambled at the end of this, but it's been a pleasure doing this pod with you. If you need a reminder, and if you're still here, if you're still here, tweet Dylan Hughes and myself, um, tweet us that Michael Orr was a good guy. And that way you'll at by Dylan, at by by Dylan Hughes at Alex Burfor um, on Twitter. You know, if you're still listening at this point, God bless you. But um, Dylan, I I just want to say thank you once again so much for joining me. Thank you.